FM, your home of all things Mecca, be it giant or otherwise. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We have a we have a late night record, so things can get loosey goosey. I'm very excited um, to jump into the final episode of Gunbuster with two good pals of mine. PMC, I just have one question for you. What did Ray fifty five fifty five do? Okay, the real question is someone. Okay, so Stephen is bringing this up because I had found a Mobile Suit Gundam Journey to Jaburo Game Facts Guide in which someone includes on their shit list uh, the perpetrators of 9-11, Osama bin Laden, Bandai of Japan, and Ray 5555. One of these things is not like the other. What did Ray 5555 do? And apparently, uh, one of the things that he's done is still be an active user of GameFAQs to this day. Uh, one, uh, some, uh, some person in the replies to that tweet noted that uh, Ray logged in yesterday on GameFAQs. <laughs> So I, I mean, maybe I got a shiver down my spine when you said that. Yeah, I, maybe I just need. I don't know. I I've never. I don't have an, a GameFAQs account. I don't know what how that would work. But maybe maybe there's a direct message. I don't know. Maybe I could find out what he did. I can ask him. I can do the the hard work like um like Dawn, you know, who talked who 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 solved part of the mystery of of Miami Mike at Dragon Con. Differentiating between Osama bin Laden and the perpetrators of 9/11 is a choice. It's like oh that's yeah, a chef's kiss time capsule. Perpetrators right of 9/11 is number one, and then number two is Bandai of Japan. Number three is Ray 555, and then number four is Osama bin Laden. In that order. Now we are not joined by Ray 5555. We are joined by Caitlin Moore. Caitlin, welcome back to the podcast. Um, it's been a little while since we've had you on since the conclusion of Planet with. Are you sure I'm not Ray 5555? Ooh. It could be, you know? I mean... I mean, Caitlin Moore isn't even my real name, so... <laughs> the, the truth comes here. out. Have you ever been on... Uh, have you spent extensive time on GameFAQs, Caitlin? Well, God, no. <laughs> I will say this. As a, like an old-timey video game player, I can't stand finding walkthrough walkthroughs or gameplay advice um through a video i need quickly in text form oh my god no that's the worst no text give me text just plain text Courier new font game facts had it right no one no one needed to change anything i hate videos because you're like trying to scroll through it's like oh went too far now i'm spoiled <laughs> no especially if the video is like a three-hour chunk of time i hate it the video can be a good day. supplement if you're like, what do you mean? Like, what is this? Where do you got to be? But that's true. PMC, you've made videos. Yeah. I mean, I've made, made videos. I, also, though, I'm the sort of person who spends time on YouTube searching for like glitch videos and stuff like that. And so, of course, with glitch videos, you know, you may be at a loss for words to describe what's happening on screen. And so video is uh, there is no substitute for that. But that is perhaps an exception to the rule. Yeah, PMC did the pivot to video, but Caitlin, you're still te- you're still you still operate in a text-based medium. Why don't you tell the good people what you do? Well, I am a writer and editor, one of the founding members of AnimeFeminist.com, and I also write reviews for Anime News Network. 
uh, including doing the preview guide. And I have bylines elsewhere on the web, a little bit more sporadic than that. Hell yeah, doing the good work. I love writing, hate it. I will do anything to procrastinate writing. Oh, I think pretty much every writer would agree with you there. It's the it's the reaping and sowing meme. Me now, signing up for a review. Woo! Me having to write the review. Ugh. Then you having to go, uh, idly going through the comments on the message board and uh, um, finding a treasure trove of <laughs> commentary. Picking fights. Yeah. People are yelling at us on Twitter right now about m- allegedly mislabeling the Inazuma kick from Gunbuster and not mentioning it's a reference to Common Rider, which I, I'm not a Common Rider fan. Dare. I know. But textually in the show, it's called the Inazuma kick, and I just referenced future Gynax works, and it, it's still called the Inazuma kick. What is, what's in a text? You know, what, what, if you give something a label and you keep using the same label, is it the same thing? Is is water wet, Steven? I'm I'm trying to get to the bottom of this for you. I'm waiting for well, you know, right text now. Is, uh, text is interpreted and reinterpreted over and over all throughout history. And I personally believe that the text is a collaboration between the writer and the reader. Unless you don't understand what I'm saying and then you're stupid and wrong. <laughs> we We had an extended discussion today in the Giant Robot FM Discord about whether or not Amaro eats a tomato or a persimmon in Mobile Suit Gundam. And this is because when we had previously podcasted about First Gundam, someone did a drive-by on us that it wasn't a tomato and it was actually a persimmon. Let me see. <laughs> and, and since then, it's, we have kind of figured out that uh, Mobile Suit Breakdown, great podcast. We have no problem with them. It's, this is not their fault. Uh, they thought it might be a persimmon. You know, they just kind of looked at the texture, at the appearance. Mm. They thought maybe it was a persimmon. Totally reasonable guess. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, but now people are like, oh, well, maybe it's a tomato, you know? And also, part of that, too, is because of, you know, how many times other characters have raw ass bit into tomatoes, most recently <laughs> with Witch from Mercury, uh, yeah, for example. Yeah, that's definitely a tomato. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're biting into tomatoes in Witch from Mercury, no doubt about it. And of course, Witch from Mercury loves to reference other Gundams, so maybe maybe it was a tomato. All Transitive along. property. Yeah. I wonder if there's uh, genetically altered messages in Amaro's tomato. Well, we know what we know what will happen if we ask Bondi. They'll tell us it's open to interpretation. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? That move sucked, but the jokes around it have been so good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's as as Talk so about often collaboration. Happens. Coming together as a meme-making group online. All right, to uh, transition back to Gunbuster. Caitlin, you review Discotech's Gunbuster Blu-ray for ANN. Tell us about that. And also tell us, like, when you first watched Gunbuster. Like, what's your history with it? All right, so me reviewing Gunbuster for ANN, pretty straightforward. They announced the Blu-ray. I bought it with my own money because I wanted it. And then I said, hey, I'm going to review this. (laughs) You know, the... I was happy to find that the dub was amazing. A really excellent dub with Noriko played by an almost complete newcomer. 
Unfortunately, it seems like Discotech could, could not get approval on a lot of the extras that they wanted to include. They made a lot of promises, and sadly, it seems like they were not able to keep it. And I know with Discotech, it's always the other side's issue. It's always approvals coming from Japan. And, you know, with something like Gunbuster, they're going to be a pain in the neck about it. So, confession, the first time I saw Gunbuster was maybe outside of the legal boundaries, but I didn't intend it to be because <laughs> a theater in Seattle was doing a screening of the whole series. And I called up my good friend, Diana. And I said, they're showing all of Gunbuster. I haven't seen it before. Let's go. And she's like, hell yes. So we went and we walked into the theater and she immediately said to the rest of the audience, cause it was this like little tiny art house place. I brought packs of tissues in case anyone needs them for the last episode. <laughs> and a few people did take it up, take her up on that offer. But then they just, they showed, they were fan subs. I figured they might be, but because it was hard to get legally at the time, but they might not have been because it was an actual theater showing it. Oh, well, uh, I try to go legal, but sometimes things happen. And it was the whole thing through. And I mean, it was amazing because Gunbuster is amazing. It was so awesome seeing it on the big screen. Normally, I don't sit through just six episodes back to back. But by the end, I was crying along with everyone else in the theater. Oh, that sounds sweet. I wish somewhere in Jersey did something equivalent with like old 80s anime. PMC, could I drag you to... Uh... I'm trying to think like a, a dank ass '80s OVA that I could drag you to the yeah, theater for. Yeah, I mean, to watch. look, we, Stephen, we went to see Kukuro's Don's Island together. I'm I'm pretty sure, sure you can get me to go see <laughs> an, an '80s OVA. If you got me to see Don's Island in theaters, we can go see an '80s OVA in theaters. Go As see Giant test. Robo. Mm. As Caitlin can attest, PMC is an old man though, so getting him to like That's go true. to the movie theater can be tough. He's been an old man for 20 years. It's been a long time. <laughs> you know, I'm, old man. 90-year-old man riding his bicycle from coast to coast. The same the same, uh, the same, same appearance in every... Un untethered from time throughout. I thought, I thought it was 15 years. Why do you look the same? Eh, my secret. <laughs> Speaking of PMC, before we jump into the episode proper, why don't you bring us home with some back-of-the-box summary? Give us the back-of-the-box summary for episode 6, courtesy of Manga Entertainment. This is the reprint, so sometime in the late 90s, maybe mid-90s. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make educated guesses. This uh, this unfortunately, this photo that Stephen gave me has a bit of glare in one part of it, but yeah, I have it's a, the best one I could find. I have, I have a good idea of what it, what it might be, so I'm gonna roll with it. All right, episode summary: the final episode, the year is 2048 AD, 15 years after episode five. The alien forces are regrouping for a final assault. Earth Space Force has devised the ultimate weapon the black hole bomb to destroy the alien menace once and for all courage and bravery propel Noriko Kami and <laughs> their comrade young Freud into a battle of epic proportions where earth's future hangs in the balance. Kami? 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 
I will say you got it right, PMC, because I, I googled it as you oh, okay. were reading it, and they were, it, it, it came wasn't up their on... comrade. I, I definitely saw a comrade there, but I wasn't sure about if there was a word before comrade. No, they're just their comrade. Okay. It's also, on, the uh, the hyphenation in Jung Freud. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a mark or if that was hyphenation. I mean, the fact that they included both words made me think it was hyphenation. So, who's who the hell is Kami? I mean, maybe it's the Dragon Ball Z thing. I don't know. Wait, was there a Kami in Dragon Ball Z? Kami's house, or no? The was that the? I don't remember. Dragon Ball Z isn't good anyway. Let's talk about Gumbuster. Oof. I've never seen Dragon Ball Z because it looks bad. You're fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yes, he's the old uh, Piccolo-looking dude. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. The, I think they split from each other in Dragon... I No, I need this information out of my brain. Like, I need Catholicism out of my brain. Yeah, there you go. That's him. <laughs> Whatever. Our, disc, our Discord... Our DM uh, group chat is just pictures of my kids and then Kami. Kami, Kami. <laughs> Kami. It's been a while since I've seen early DBZ. Or really DBZ in a while, period. For the I was, well, his tunic says Kami. There you mm. go. Everything labeled. So so Toriyama can remember who his characters are. I'm sorry. We got to start Speaking this podcast. <laughs> I told you, a little loopy, a little, little good energy. We always have the best energy, the three of us. All right. Episode six, At the End of Eternity. It's May 5th, 2048. 15 years have passed since the finale of episode five ota has been gone for some time having died on december 19th 2033 as snow softly falls kazumi visits his grave to say what might be her final farewell she's off to space i think you mean kami (laughs) (laughs) you had me going there because i i I re-edited all my notes to substitute amano out for amano out for kazumi just to keep the first names kind of aligned or at least the naming conventions aligned so i went down a rabbit hole here because i saw the little marker i was i I knew you know i don't want to sound like a stereotypical weeb here but i was like you know i do know a bit about um burial practices in japan i know that space is a factor in japan especially in crowded cities and i know that most people in japan are often cremated so i'm assuming ota has been cremated here and this is just a marker representing his passing so maybe maybe by japan in 2048 that percentage must be close to 100 percent um just a thought that popped in my brain as i was watching but on not on that subject Let's talk about the uh, decision to animate this in black and white. Um, I think it's a really smart decision. I think it owns. I think it, it makes this episode incredibly distinct, um, feel very important. Um, it helps this episode resonate on an even more emotional level. Um, Anno specifically had this to say about it. When you have color, you have an extra dimension of information. Color would have gotten in the way of the sense of scale we wanted to portray with the black hole bomb. Also... No one have ever done it before. You know, one thing I wanted to, I want, I'm thinking about here. This is this is coming to me live. Is that I, I've been thinking a lot about this episode. I had actually forgotten coming into this that Kazumi has aged 15 years, and effectively Noriko hasn't. I sort of, for some reason, that just slipped my brain. And coming into it, I I now started thinking a lot about the episode as sort of um, like a time travel episode of Kazumi returning to the past getting a chance to sort of revisit youthful memories and now i'm thinking about i feel like there is an there is a dimension of watching an old film that 
Kazumi might be experiencing because she is returning mm. to piloting the gunbuster of Noriko later later in the episode. Um, so I feel like that's another sort of of way to look at. It. I mean, obviously the the black and white and widescreen adds all the things that you said it adds, but I do really think it has this effect of uh, going back and doing something uh, in a memory. Yeah, I think that's a really solid read because it does create this more somber feeling to the episode. This feeling of taking place in the past that I don't think would have been quite the same if it were in color, even though it's not taking place in the past. It's this feeling of everything, all of this has uh, words, all of this has happened and we are reflecting back on it instead of watching the time move forward totally the widescreen pairs so nicely with the black and white feel too i didn't know this but apparently gunbuster got a theatrical release in japan when it premiered when i guess when the tape started coming out in 89 the final two episodes that's one of the other reasons why it was i uh, decided to uh, animate this in i guess 16 by 9 which is neat these Definitely. episodes must have popped caitlin in the theater oh they looked amazing it, they were from that old, like, it was a fan sub release that had collected basically all of the best quality versions they could find, too. Like, my friend was saying that that was the best quality video that you could get Gunbuster on, and that we basically had access to better quality than anyone else through watching those. So seeing it on the big screen was just beautiful. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same version I had, because when we covered this before on the old pod, I went on the high seas, and I think I found rips of the 2012 Japanese Blu-ray, but there were English subs on it. I didn't know if those English subs were included on that official release, or if those are fan subs. Uh, they're, they're very close to the discotech subs, because when I was editing my notes and putting in the new discotech, Disco tech dialogue in, there wasn't too much deviation, no egregious changes or differences in style. You all know the meme, the Two Towers meme of uh, Viggo Mortensen kicking the, the Orokai mm-hmm. shield. And that Two Towers. Oh, okay. you mean when he, broke his, when he broke his toe? I know after all the 9-11 talk, I was thinking, wait, what? <laughs> I was like... Ray 5555 has entered the chat again. No, the Two Towers meme with my boy Vigo. Oh, the one where he stubs his toe? Yeah, I feel like... He breaks this... his toe. Right. Breaks his toe, PMC. Right, I'm sorry. He breaks his toe, and he really screams like because he, he really breaks his toe. I know. I'm sorry. PMC, how many times have you seen Two Towers? <sighs> Are you like Were you as Lord of the Ring pilled in middle school and high school as I was, and possibly Caitlin was? I don't think that film came out when I was in middle school, but... We're only one year apart. No, no, it was high school. It was high school. All right, so then I was. Um, I remember because it was my sophomore year of high school, mm. and you're one year younger than yep. me. Yeah, so it would have been freshman right, for me. Up. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I've seen it a handful of times, but it's it's been a long time. Like I saw it a bunch around the time it came out, and I have not really seen them since. The only reason I'm saying this is because this factoid that I'm about to drop on you all is on anime circles online is cited. Sometimes as obnoxiously as the Vigo Mortensen um, 
info drop that people love to trot out whenever they're watching Two Towers. Um, because people like people in their minds think, oh, this was a cost-cutting move. Um, just like how they erroneously read the end of Evangelion when things kind of go off the wall animation-wise. They think, oh, that was a cost-cutting move. And that's partly it, but there's a lot more um, background information there. But anyway, this is actually a more expensive and more time-consuming and more resource-intensive move. This was purely a creative choice. It took more time to do this. And theoretically, it's more expensive as well. Yeah, because you have to think about all of the stuff in how it's going to look in grayscale. There's a lot of thought involved in balancing the light and the, the different shades with doing black and white. Yeah. Like Anna said, I'm sure there's precedent, but it's not often done. So it must have been very labor-intensive for the animators. I'm sure they were thrilled when Anna presented them with his marching orders. Something else I noticed at the beginning, too, is they uh, omitted the OP in Episode 6. It's also not in Episode 5 as well, which I think is a smart choice, because as much as I like the OP, I feel like it would completely clash with this episode's somber tone. Yeah. Caitlin, I was going to say, Caitlin, are you a big fan of the OP? Because PMC is a famous naysayer of the Gunbuster OP. It just, it doesn't stick in my head. Um, oh, yes. Okay, now that I'm, like, stopping and really thinking about it, I don't have strong feelings about it either way, really. Fair, fair. Yeah, as I said, even even the Pat Labor early days OP, I feel like stuck. That, that's the OP I think of first before then I think of the, the high, high, high. And that usually gets me back to actually thinking about the mm. Gunbuster OP. Right now I only think, what's up? Oh, I keep interrupting PMC. I, different wave. Sorry, I just wanted to say stand up to the victory. That's all. You can you yep. can continue now. That's the victory Gundam OP. Yes, right? that is that is the victory Gundam OP. And then the the ending is Wieners Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. They're both so good. Watch Victory Gundam. This has been a message from PMC. Thank you, PMC. How far are you in Victory Gundam? Uh, fifteen episodes, I think. They just got into space. Traditional Gundam. They mm-hmm. entered space. Gotcha. I, I'm like I want to be apprised of your, uh, how you feel about it. Fifteen episodes from now, and I haven't seen Victory. They just I hit me with a clip show, so that's how it's going. Nice. <laughs> I kind of miss clip shows, kind of, especially if they have a fun framing device. A lot of times now, you don't get the frame. If they do them, you don't get the framing device because it's like an emergency measure. <laughs> it reminds me of those Gundam Wing clip shows. <laughs> At the end, it's just Trey's in his office. Thanks, Trey's. <laughs> I need to sit down and watch Gundam Wing beginning to end someday. Like, I I talk about loving that show, but I just caught random episodes when I could because it was before DVR. That's the way to do it. It's pure vibes. Yeah, it's hard to w- sit through and watch end to end. Um, but also, shout outs to Untitled Talkies podcast for anyone who wants to watch Gundam Wing and needs a podcast for it. That's the best. I think they are the most podcast, uh, like rewatch podcast dedicated to a single Gundam show on Gundam Wing. I was counting. PMC can attest to this. I was counting at one point. There's like 10 plus. That's wild. But not that unusual considering the American anime audience. It's funny, when we have the three of us talking about a show, we often talk about shows with Luke like lackluster OPs. I'm thinking of Planets With, Planet With's OP. I really like Gunbuster's OP, but 
James. Sounds like it's lackluster. It just doesn't stick with me, yeah. you know? I can't. I, I never. I was never annoyed by it, but I definitely can't remember it right now. We'll look it up later. Reiko, who's now principal of Oki Girls, comes to pay her respects and talk to Kazumi. We started as classmates, yet now I'm 10 years your senior. Space is a strange place, she says. Reiko asks if Kazumi is really going back out into space. Yes, she replies. I was only able to fight because of Noriko, Miss Kashihara. She's the one who truly protected the Earth. So last time when we were talking about episode 5, I mentioned Hard Luck Woman, episode 24 of Bebop. And I, I cited that episode to illustrate the melancholy of time passing. Now, I could bring that up again here, but I decided to bring up Macross Plus, another Nobumoto work as a point of comparison, because this scene reminds me a bit of Myung and Isamu's reunion, or even Myung and Gold, even though there's a lot more baggage there. Like, even though a gulf of time separates these two people, they're still connected by the memories of the past. Like, they're both ravaged by time in their own unique ways. And I find there's something very powerful and bit bittersweet about this. Like, the ways in which we're bound to the people we once knew, whether we realize it or not. Okay. Earlier, we were talking about people being old. I do have to say, if these women are in their early to mid-40s... They look like they're like 60. Just just got to put that out there. Yeah, they look weathered. Uh, they like they've seen some shit and admittedly they have. Yeah, that's true. They've been through a lot. But still. I saw them just like how maybe I maybe I'm sensitive because you know, I'm 36, but I was just like how old do you think like 40-year-olds look? Come on. It's like you're playing a JRPG and you interact with a third year old and they look like they're 65. Like, it's like that Mega Man Rock the Brawl out here. Yeah, exactly. 35 year old Ron Burrell. He's 35, yeah. right? In First Gundam? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> every six months or every three months, I make that joke on Twitter. Because usually something comes up like um, the Broccoli company is looking for a 35 year old to cast Bond. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll tweet out Ron Burrell. You know, that I mean, that joke never gets old. Unlike it always, him. It always gets traction. Yeah, I don't know what's up with Kashiwara. Like, she really looks like she's been through the ringer. And, um, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I you know, I, I imagine the idea is that they're trying to play up that she is now the wise and old principal who's even further, you know, untethered from time because mm -hmm. she didn't have the 10 years, um, you know, that, uh, that I guess that Cosme skipped out on and there was another 15 years and, you know, Everything's kind of shot from the shockwave and, and all of those events. I I, I I only recognized this time that when it's just the two of them talking, um, they're like overlooking like a flooded village. There's just like roofs popping, like, you know, poking out of the water. And it's like, oh, like this place is still all messed up. Like you, you, they point, they touch on that in a bit with a, with another kind of mecha anime trope. But even here, just like on the side of the road, on the way to go do something, there are just places that never recovered. Yeah, I'm sure when Jupiter 2 imploded and the shockwaves hit Earth, I'm sure that kicked off a whole bunch of tsunamis everywhere. Oh, do you want to talk about Jupiter 2? We could have we could do, talk about this now. So, did of course. You, um, so, Caitlin, you also, of course, have the disc discotheque release. Did you watch all the science episodes? Mm -hmm. Yes. So yes, I did. 
So we, we all now know that Jupiter 2 is actually the secret 10th planet in our solar system that we didn't know about in the true yeah. solar system. I, <laughs> I like how they, they, their naming system, which is like Lucifer, Diablo, Nemesis. Jupiter 2. Yeah. <laughs> Nemesis. Yeah. I don't know. Jupiter 2 just kind of missed out there. Like I, you could have gotten something, you know, Bale or Mephisto or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah. So Jupiter 2, I guess closer than we thought it was because I, I, I feel like we were under the impression that they moved the fight, you know, like, a, like oh, let's go to that solar system right over there so we don't, you know, blow up a, a, a black hole bomb adjacent to our planet. But they were, you know, they were in the neighborhood, I guess, as, as it turns out. Uh, so I guess, it may make, I mean, look, they could tell me whatever they want. The science doesn't actually matter. But the point is they were more proximate than I thought they were. It's funny because the yeah. science doesn't matter, but we always come back to <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, please don't ask me about the science in this because I don't know. I don't remember any of the science stuff. It doesn't matter to me. Like, don't ask me what they were doing. All I can talk about is the emotions of it, which I personally think are the important thing. But oh, yeah, yeah no. The technology in this show, I think, has only been important when it conveys something about the social interactions. Uh, we're we're gonna have one of those moments, I think, uh, when when Kazumi and Noriko get re uh, connect to each other. But as like a work of speculative fiction, to be like, ah, uh, yes, you know, digital photo frames and and stuff like that. The good stuff. Before we move on, I just want to have one more note here about uh, Noriko and Kazumi, because I feel like by now, by episode six, really by episode five, I feel their relationship has now displaced Noriko's relationship with her father and her relationship with Torin as the integral emotional pairing of the show. Like, the two of them have undergone the most change, and I, f I personally think the two of them are the most compelling characters, which makes the ending of this episode hit all the harder. I mean, Gunbuster is commonly discussed as as Yuri, you know, um, that's the, that didn't come about for no reason. Like, even if they're not like officially a couple, the connection between those two and the way that the show puts emphasis on it does like make it considered a canonical Yuri work. And also it's connection to aim for the ace which I could totally talk about because I have seen Aim for the Ace. Not that it's relevant to this episode because it strays away from that by now, but... You know who we could ask for clarification? Because Bondi did fund Gunbuster. We could ask the execs over at Bondi <laughs> how they feel about their relationship. No! They're also enemies. <laughs> I love when Gundam Twitter and anime Twitter can like come to... <laughs> can come together and just blast an executive or executives for a whole week. You love to see it. Yeah. Bandai, Bandai of Japan has earned their place on that list of enemies retroactively. PMC, that's if, if right, if this was more well known, that would be a baller meme. I'll, I'll go, I'll go author a game facts guide for like SD gun and battle Alliance. And I'll, I'll put Bandai of Japan on my shit list again, you know, <laughs> <laughs> unmask myself as the enemy of Ray 5555. 
So we get some uh, teacher-student interaction here. Kazumi students who now refer to her as coach wish her well before she goes off to space. Little Takami, who's now a teenager and one of her and one of Kazumi's students, ask her to give Auntie Noriko a letter. And ever all the all the girls, all the students are eagerly awaiting her return. They give her a bunch of doves as a symbol of, I assume, hope and uh, well wishes on her journey. Basically, hoping she'll come back. All very yeah. The cranes are, are a common symbol, a uh, kind of of hope and uh, well wishes. You'll see they're gifted to like people who are recovering from an illness very co- frequently. Uh, they're they're connected to Hiroshima a lot. Um, giving someone like a big stack of a thousand paper cranes. You might have heard of the books uh, Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes. Is yeah a, a traditional symbol of of basically wishing someone luck and wishing someone well. I don't think I'd heard of the book before, but I definitely knew the paper cranes and the number, and I think that's mostly because of... I mean, it's a common thing, I think, but Ghost in the Shell, second gig, uh, was, I think, the one that got me onto that. Because that, mm-hmm. that has an extended bit about a kid in a hospital room, and they can only use their right hand, and they're just folding paper cranes the whole time. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's like if you fold a thousand paper cranes, then your wish will come true. Yeah, I remember tying up both those uh, those pieces of evidence. I was uh, I remember went to, I was at Hiroshima when I was traveling through Japan. Went to the museum, and there's a lot of um, exhibits featuring the the paper um, doves. It's very moving. Cranes, sorry, my mind was wandering there. <laughs> I was like doves, <laughs> go birds. I know, I was trying to, this is what happens, it's called podcast mouth, when you have a word, and that you normally normally be able to speak that word out loud, but since you're in front of a mic, the word just escapes at the most inopportune moments possible. Of course. PMC, you could edit that out and just put Ray 5555. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just edit I'll just edit in an eagle's chant, and like, oh, that's the wrong bird, Stephen. What's the canonical read of uh, their name? Is it fifty five fifty five or what's your interpretation on that PMC? I mean, I don't know if there's a canon read. I I, I feel like fifty five fifty five is the easiest to say, but like five, just saying five 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 is also kind of funny. It's a common like Twitch TTS joke. Also, mm-hmm. maybe or or and, is it like Galaxy Express mm. and it's Ray four five? Ooh. Ooh. The hole gets deeper. I was about to say Interstellar 555, but I like that one better. They're both good. You know what's also good? The orbital ropeway base yeah. number one, located in Hawaii. Um, Kazumi is debriefed as she takes the ropeway into space. This is like right up Stephen Hero's alley, this visual storytelling. Excellent world building. We see how far technology has progressed in the intervening decades. The show really isn't called too much attention to it. Yes, it's on screen, but it's not like a character's pointing this out, which I like. We're allowed to just exist in the world and come to these conclusions on our own. If you remember, at the end of episode one, Noriko, Kazumi, and Coach board a JAL jet to get into space, and now they have the orbital ropeway, which I feel like, it makes it feel like more like Disneyland, but I feel like it's more economical and possibly safer this way. They got trains into space. 
Damn. I can't even get a train to the shore, and they got trains in the space. I can't even get a train downtown. Yeah, yeah. and that, that kind of visual storytelling is very Anno. Yeah. He's so skilled at just kind of drawing the viewer's attention to uh, what he wants, but being, like, very subtle about it. Like I love, I, I love seeing in Gunbuster just like little like bits of his style that you can already start seeing developing. I can't yeah, believe it's, like it's so hard to believe this is his first like commercial project. Yeah, it's all there. I was, I was shocked because I've watched more Anno since I first watched Gunbuster. I'm like, it's all fucking right here. The first thing he directed, it's all here. Mm-hmm. He's had he's had this inc- incredible creative voice since the very beginning. As the pair ascends into space, we see that parts of Earth were ravaged by the shock waves from Jupiter 2's super gravitational collapse. Australia, because of course, shout outs to Lau, was hit particularly hard. As if terrestrial tev- devastation wasn't enough, the collapse also resulted in a shift in Earth's axis and the loss of three planets. What planets? That's what I want. Name names. I have to assume th- it was those outer ones, right? It was probably like Lucifer Nemesis. and... Well, Nemesis is a star. I don't think they lost the star. Was it? A- oh, it was Nemesis the star. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly I just like them doing Australia as a bit. Like, I'm pretty sure they're just doing that as a Gundam bit. I have to imagine, right? They're like, oh, yeah, Australia got fucked. Sorry, Australia. (laughs) I should go down a rabbit hole and see in what other mecha properties did Australia just eat it. I'm pretty sure there are more. Like, I definitely think there are more than just Gunbuster and, and UC Gundam. I guess textually it's perfect to drop something large on Australia and theoretically for some of the earth to be all right quote unquote even though really if an asteroid hit australia we'd all be fucked so kazumi's on the ropeway there's an official space force official debriefing her talking with her um he says we're putting everything we have into the construction of the black hole bomb so we as the audience get some techno babble here it's not too difficult to parse especially once you have more information later Essentially, humanity has been building a small planet-sized black hole bomb, which has been created by compressing Jupiter into approximately one three-thousandth of its normal size. It, which it, will be well, used actually, to, it's 30,000th, Stephen. Is it 30? Yeah. 30,000, 30, its normal size, which will be used to trigger a chain reaction to create a black hole. I looked at that as like, I don't know if there are five zeros or four zeros. I'm just going with four. It's always what you don't go with that's correct, though. Well, it would be three zeros or four zeros. <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't meaningless technobabble, I wouldn't do this to you, but, <laughs> but it's so, so, so the right time. And the, it's no, it's always, perfect. Always the People right time. People like this banter, PMC. Okay. No, that's, that's the after dark banner. <laughs> the thing that I really uh, appreciate about this bomb is that they basically go out of their way to make it very clear that... They put everything into this. Everything. Everyone. We all did it. It's all right here. It's this big thing. Uh, I mean, they're going to keep saying it over and over again, but like right from the beginning, they're underscoring and underlining it. I like saying black hole bomb. It flows off the tongue very nicely. Good name. 
good ass name. Do you think at all of um, what's I should know this? This is like a super popular song, Black Hole Sun. Is that what band is that? I th- my brother listened to this. Oh, it was because I, I was in Guitar Hero. Yeah, this is embarrassing. Well, at least I feel embarrassed because this is something my brother. Like I have a brother who's older than me who would have listened to all the time. And it's a song by Soundgarden. I would have gotten that completely wrong. All right. Anyway, popular early 90s song, uh, but obviously has, has the same cadence, you know, as saying Black Hole Bomb. No, I, I, PMC, you know, I was never cool or listening to music with the cool people. Just the weird video game music mm-hmm. in, in my cave. Mm-hmm. Playing the <laughs> PMC cello, would like, never do anything I, weird with video game music. I would music. never do anything weird with video game music. Absolutely not. Have yeah, but you have this. slightly more mainstream taste, or at least mainstream knowledge of music than I do, PMC. Maybe now. It's definitely not then, though. Like, <laughs> it was. It never was, had a terrible bad idea. Yeah. Ever, Stephen? Have you ever started a video game cover band? I have not. I've only okay. listened to them. Yours right. included. Okay. I I liked your shit though. Yeah, the, it, was, it was fun. Green Hills. I, I was I was fortunate that out of the park. to have many talented friends, uh, and that it worked out. Noriko can say the same thing, as can many an anime protagonist. All right, so you have the bomb, the black hole bomb. And this theoretically, when detonated, the bomb and 3,000 mines placed around the center of the galaxy will cause a black hole to be formed, thereby sucking in and destroying all those space monsters. That's the plan. Love a good planning montage. That's a very classic Anoism. He's pulling it from a variety of works like Godzilla and classic tokusatsu, but I dig it all the time, be it in a Godzilla film or in Ava. I could just watch that shit all day. So the Space Force official starts to get philosophical. Do we have the right to do that? We'd be killing the galaxy. If we don't, then it'll be us who die, Kazumi replies. So even though the script calls attention to it, I feel Gunbuster isn't really too concerned with the ethical implications of this last-ditch defense. If you want that story from the space monsters, just read Nausicaa, which uh, goes deep into, um, like, oh, what are the monsters really doing? What's their perspective? Um, Because I feel like Gunbuster stresses the need to be active rather than passive when faced with an existential crisis. Do not go gentle into that good night and all that. Like, we should just sit quietly and accept our fate. It's the president's speech from Independence Day. I feel like, you know, in light of the doomerism that has taken hold of so many people regarding climate change, I feel like Gunbuster here could be more relevant than ever. By the way, did you know that Anna worked on Nausicaa? Yes. The God Warrior scene owns. Yep. I... And him and Miyazaki are very cute together. <laughs> <laughs> Besties. Besties. Um, I, I have like my, my hackles up right now when it comes to people complaining about doomerism. This is not the podcast for me to go down a deep tangent of why this subject annoys me. Uh, but I knew, I knew when I wrote this, like PMC is going to have, all I'm saying is there is, there are some people who are like, all right, there's an issue. Like there is a direct correlation, a through line from like absolute doomerism to like ecofascism. Like if the world's fucked, why don't Mm. we just party, close our borders, take what resources we have now and party till the party's over yeah i think if i think if you are yeah if if your actions are 
just because you think the fight might be lost, then you start taking bad action. Sure. I don't think that reflects the mindset of a lot of people, which is my, my sticking point. If you're on urbanism Twitter at all this week, there was a major kerfuffle about the, the guy who does not just bikes saying that like North America is never going to get better at cities. Uh, and that's why he moved. <laughs> and like, people are very mad about that. And I'm like, well, prove him wrong. All right, let's, let's go do it then. You know, come on chief. Um, in regards to, you know, keep it, keeping on the subject, uh, and not my weird pet peeves. <laughs> no, I mean, PMC, you do bring up a good point because when people say doomerism, they also use that just to not interact with the science at all and to denounce the right. science. Right. That's the, I mean, that's my problem, right? This is like, or, or, you know, when can we ever say this thing is bad? You know, it, it must change. You want to really want to make, you want to make financial people uncomfortable? Ask them when we can actually hold banks accountable. They never have an answer. They will never hold bankers accountable. And in this case, you know, when, you know, when would it be right to say that the last to check now, thankfully this is an, you know, things work out. Everything comes together. The plan comes together. The heroes show up and you know, the many, many heroes, the thousands of heroes in the, in the final battle. Um, but like, it is a good question to take stock of reality. And we also don't know, like practically speaking, and this is not important to the show, but like, what would the effects of blowing up the center of the galaxy be on the entire galaxy? Like, there's probably some kind of effect. I don't know what that would be. I'm, I maybe there's. I mean, I, I wonder if anyone's done a paper on that. I almost want to like look that up and be like, if we if we deleted the mass at the center of the galaxy, what would happen? Would our solar system just like suddenly change direction? And it would, and you know, what would happen? I don't know. It's not important to Gunbuster, but. I do think taking stock of things is a worthwhile life lesson. Yeah. I think the fundamental question is because the thing with the aliens in, in Gunbuster is some people think that they could be, they might be an immune response to humans being fuck ups. And so the question is, do humans have, a right to do whatever it takes to survive you know should we just lie down but we are we are living creatures it is in our it is our biological drive like it is in our nature to try to survive and if we can survive then we should we should do we should do whatever we need to and you know, I don't have an answer about whether that's right or not. Um, and I don't think Gunbuster has an answer either. Uh, I think Gunbuster is the story of the people who did what it took to survive, regardless of whether or not it was right. It's funny because I remember... Um, Ano focusing in an interview on the final um, volume of Nausicaa and like where Miyazaki was as an artist of finishing up Nausicaa. And he basically come to the conclusion that, you know what, maybe humanity should wiped out, be wiped out um, and like really vibing with that conclusion. But it's a very Miyazaki conclusion to come to. At least yeah, I honestly, I'm not really interested in anything Miyazaki has to say. 
Um, I enjoy his movies, but the less I hear about what he has to say about anything else, and maybe this makes me a bad critic, I don't care. I don't I don't want to hear it from him. That it bums he bums me out. <laughs> he bums me out, and his movies don't. And so I'd like to keep the two separated. <laughs> yeah. No, and luckily, I... and he doesn't bum me out in an, oh, you're a terrible person kind of way. Although he doesn't seem like a very nice person. Um, so I, I can keep that separation. This isn't like a Harry Potter thing. But yeah. It's no, not surprising to me that Miyazaki is like, maybe humanity should be wiped out for the good of all the other living things. Because when um, I can't remember who brings that up in episode one of Gunbuster as an episode two, but that's basically like one of the thesis um, or the concerns of Nausicaa because the Omu are there because humanity fucked things up so bad. And everyone thinks the Omu are just like senselessly killing things and destroying the world, but actually they are trying to rid the world of the pollution. They're kind of like um, antibodies, the Earth's antibodies. But like I said, Gunbuster really isn't too concerned with that. I'd like that. I'd like that um, that conversation to take place. I'd like that episode of Deep Space Nine to be in Gunbuster, but alas, <laughs> it's not what the show is. Gun- Cosme- Gun- I was gonna say Gun- Gunbuster is, you know, Danny DeVito with the, with an egg, a black egg, saying, "Can I offer you an egg?" And it's just the busting <laughs> machine number three. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, write that down. As Kazumi wakes, makes her way to the orbital station, we see Buster Machine Number 3, the black hole bomb, looming ominously in the distance. So this is another Miyatake design. He designed all the ships in Gunbuster. It was working at the time for Studio Nue. He designed the Buster Machine 3. I very much dig it. It's it's The design is, I find, impressive and terrifying. It's like looking at a 40-foot-tall Rothko painting. Like You can't help be... T- be taken in by its monolithic enormity. If you've ever, if you've never been to a modern art museum before, I definitely recommend you check, uh, you experience it because it's it's a trip. Yeah, it's definitely like really classic sci-fi lit to be like, ah, yes, the thing we built is enormous, simple shape in space. Isn't it compelling? And the answer is it actually is pretty compelling. <laughs> like Ringworld, super compelling. We made a whole oh. video game series about it. Um, you know, spheres, we love them. Uh, you know, we could keep going, uh, the rendezvous Rama, whatever you want. You know, we can all do it. And so I think, uh, they're absolutely right here to be like, ah, yes, large, simple shape in space. It'll work. And it does. Yeah. Gynex really knows how to up the scale in the end game. Just these designs are magnificent. It's the poison pill. That'll save humanity. Yeah, try swallowing this one. I I learned how to swallow pills over the pandemic. I Good news, like, it's a uh, suppository. Ayo. <laughs> it really does feel like in these drawings with the with the two halves sort of pulled apart, it does kind of have that. Oh, that t- yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That kind of. Uh, <laughs> Greendale's logo for my, the community fans out yes. there. Yes. The first Did you get that reference, PMC? No. <laughs> I just say yes. What What are you talking about? You say community? I haven't yeah, seen that show. Uh, I know, but if you, I'm speaking to the <laughs> listeners, not to you. I, I get it. I get what you're saying. Thank you, Caitlin. Caitlin's now moving up in the co-host rank. She's in every two. in every sphere of my life. I wasn't at the top already. 
I am making someone upset because I have not watched a TV show, and it is always funny which TV show it is. Uh, Sopranos. Sopranos Community. is a common one. Yes, people are mad. People I haven't are, seen that one. People are specifically mad that I have. But he the, speed he speed runs. I the have game, the speed run world record for the PS2 Sopranos game, but I've never watched an episode of The Sopranos. <laughs> so I, I only know about The Sopranos through the PS2 game, which is really bad. Ah, uh, good times. Meanwhile, in the center of the galaxy, near Sagittarius A, the flagship Eltrium leads the Galactic Core assault fleet. Here, Noriko meets with Admiral Tashiro, who tells her that after scrapping the plan to evacuate Earth, um, they've, they've scrapped that plan and are st- instead are prioritizing a counterattack. Uh, Project... Uh, PMC, how do you pronounce this name again? It's Greek. It's like a Greek mathematician or someone. Oh, is it, Remember I the it pronunciation? Like Car- uh, Carneades or something. Is it Carneades? I do yeah. see it and say Carneasada, but it's not. That's not <laughs> it. Don't say that. Don't don't be me. That's such a dad joke. <laughs> Carneades, Project Carneades, now waits only upon the arrival of the main force. He credits Noriko and Jung, in addition to the Gunbuster, for these developments. They're set to rendezvous with the main force in 12 hours. Crunching the numbers, Noriko concludes that 15 years have already passed on Earth. Time di- The way this show uses time dilation is absolutely wonderful. It's such an effective, dramatic device. It produces such a sense of melancholy, nostalgia, and anxiety, not only for the characters, which is important, but also for the audience, too. And it just adds such a satisfying layer of emotional depth. I've been thinking about Interstellar all week because of Gunbuster. Interstellar is definitely the lesser of the two works, but I feel like people are really coming around on Interstellar in light of Oppenheimer, which I still haven't seen. Um, I've, I've, there's been a lot of chatter online about it. I'm very fine. My go-to for time dilation stories is the song 39 by Queen. mm which a lot of people always think is about World War II, and then it's like, no, if you listen to the lyrics, it's about time dilation. The land that our grandchildren knew, you know? Um, But the thing that gets me about Gunbuster that it does that not a lot of other stories that deal with time dilation does is it, it mostly works in relatively small stretches of time. Because otherwise, it could be like almost like an isekai, right? You know, it's Futurama and Isekai. Yes, because the world is basically indistinguishable from the, the current one. And, you know, Fry is able to move on because he's not facing his past because everything is completely removed from it. And the most poignant episodes of Futurama are the ones where he does have to deal with that, right? So Noriko looking her friend in the face who used to be one year older than her and now she's 15 years older her best friend's daughter is older than her now and in the on the other side her father's body the body of her father who she grew up without in the first couple episodes she was wanted to find it because it had only been two days the time dilation is so crushing because it works on such a small scale. So the characters really feel it, you know? Um, I'm a twin and I'm not like super close to my sister, but I imagine the idea of just like 
just her having a kid is weird to me. It's weird to me that my sister is a mom. If I saw her again one day and she was 10, 15, 20 years older than me, it, I, I couldn't even fathom it. And so that's what gives Gunbuster that melancholy because the characters can really see the time passing for everyone else or the lack of time passing. And I think that the fact that it mostly works in small stretches is also what gives that big ending moment so much impact as well. But we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, I think I can echo right here, especially that the... like. So we just had this bit of characters who had lived through 15 years of being on Earth with Kazumi, all the people working in Project Carneades with um you know and with uh with kashiwara and now we get to sort of picking up where we left off with tashiro noriko and young and they're like oh yeah we just decided not to evacuate earth which is like hits us real weird of course like yeah you've been there for 15 years but you know for for these characters that's a recent change of plans you know and and i think and so they you know at one point noriko is like yep 15 years have passed but like they're not, you know, they don't, they can't act like that. Like they literally cannot, it is not in them to do that. Yeah. Do you think so? You know, Noriko being 15, her brain is very flexible. It's so much easier to just accept things that for everyone else are abnormal. Do you think her being like, Oh yeah, 15 years is partially, do you think it's a function of her being so young and just getting used to it? or a function of, or is she just putting on an act or is it a combination of both? Do you think? I think she's sleep. I think she's just sort of like, I think it's a, it's a function of her putting on, I think a brave face of just sort of like trying to like commit to the bit. Cause we, we can't say that she hasn't experienced stuff like this. Like she did have the 10 years, you know, going back to earth, running into Kimiko, mm-hmm. uh, those experiences. So she's like, she's, She's witnessed some of it herself in terms of the the time escaping her. Um, yeah, I think I think it's definitely her, and you know, doing doing the gung ho bit is kind of how I would put it because you know, certainly she the, the mask slips off when she actually sees Kazumi later. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and no, I like that read. It's, sometimes it is easy to forget that she's only fifteen, though. Especially on this last episode. She's seen some shit. She's 15, but she's had to grow up really fast. Oh, a note about uh, Tashiro. Technically, he's an admiral, but they also refer to him as captain. So in case you're confused by my naming convent, the naming conventions I use in my notes. <laughs> um, I, I stick with admiral often, but technically he also, I think he colloquially goes, refers, colloquially is referred to as captain. I don't know, but I've, I heard both uh, titles used with him. I had to study up on military ranks recently, Air Force ones, because I was reading Catch-22. Mm. I was like, wait a second. What are all these ranks? Oh, uh, Air Force. Though it was so jarring for me to when I read through uh, the origin manga and they changed the the rankings yeah. from like what was it? It was like they changed from like navy to army or something. Or I think so. Was that it? Okay. 
Warrant Naval- Officer Amaro Ray, what are you talking about? <laughs> the naval titles just hit harder. Admiral. Just feels good to say it. Yeah. Fleet Captain, that's the good stuff. Wow, Master Commander fan has logged on to the podcast. Whenever I'm watching, because I've been, I, I just watched an episode of Picard, and uh, Strange New Worlds is like a weekly tradition between me and my wife, with me and my wife. And they have the whistle, um, the bosun whistle that sounds off every time, like a a ranking officer uh, appears on the bridge. That's just the best shit in the world. <laughs> and then they described it in the last episode, saying it's an ancient Earth naval tradition. Even better. Put that stuff right in my veins. PMC, I hope I'm going to get you to watch. I think it's going to happen. Listeners will know in the future, but I think it's going to happen. I'm gonna sk- we're going to sit down together. We're going to watch Master Commander. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. I, th- I think you'll you'll enjoy it. If you don't, there'll be, there'll be issues. I, I always enjoy a, a Russell Crowe. It's a Russell Crowe film, right? Yeah, Paul Bettany, Russell Crowe. Yeah, that should be fine. They're fun. Pippin from a camera who plays Pippin in Lord of the Rings. Oh, right. Dominic Monaghan? Dominic, yeah. Because he's in... No, no, no. no the no. other one. Uh, uh, Brandon Boyd. Brandon Boyd. They, okay. Yeah. Apologies to both of them. A lot of Lord of the Rings chatter on this episode. I do love me some Lord of the Rings. Fellowship is one of those movies I've seen 50 plus times. Are you going to make a big deal when you make your children watch it? It's a good question. Down be like, this is a very special movie. Daughter, I, I guess like, I, I, I was uh, telling PMC I need fake ass names for the daughters, but I have Toddler Hero and Baby Hero. Baby Hero is only three and a half months. Toddler Hero has seen some Mecca. She likes Turn A Gundams. I think she likes the opening and she likes the vibes. At least she did the last time I was watching it. She did not like G Witch. She wanted me to turn that shit off. She wanted to watch. Baby Shark, probably. Or Bluey. <laughs> I like Bluey. Toddler Hero was in uh, the Gagagar, right? She likes the opening. She likes okay. to, she, any, Gaga, Now Gaga, she just wants Gaga, to dance Gaga, with me. Gaga. She holds out her hands and goes, Dance, Daddy, um, whenever I'm watching an OP for an anime. <laughs> That's doesn't, fun. She doesn't like Master and Commander, because I have put that on the background. <laughs> or Star Trek. She's you just know, dealing with me grinding in uh, FF16 right now. <laughs> My sister the other day turned to me and said that her daughter will never play video games. And I'm just like... Was she like trying to come at you or something? Or like... Well, yes, she's constantly okay. trying to come at me. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> that's a very... So that's, a, that's just... That's just... Very hostile. Uh, uh, oh, you know, that's just the yeah. kind of relationship we have no, um, no, I, I do get that i mean I'm, I'm a cyclist and i criticized my brother for buying a wagoneer and he said it's safe for the people inside the car and i was like screw you buddy <laughs> <laughs> but um no she said with full confidence she will never play video games and i'm just like yeah that's not gonna be your call she will eventually have a free will and you basically just guaranteed that someday she's going to be a massive nerd yeah, she by saying that she sealed that fate. Mm-hmm. Exactly, they always become what you don't want them to be. Kazumi, piloting Buster Machine Three, enters subspace so that she can rendezvous with the fleet. T- talking about putting the shit in my veins, right here, right now. 
this this scene is magnificent. Gunbuster's representation of scale is unmatched. It's awe inspiring. I feel this is I feel like this is especially obvious when the Buster machine exits subspace in the middle of the fleet of ships, and then you see how small the ships seem in comparison. Just masterful sense of scale. Always love the glass cracking too. Uh, I yeah. mean, at this point, what nineteen eighty eight? You wouldn't have had you know you wouldn't have been <laughs> been raised on years of jrpgs with the screen cracking like glass to go into a random battle but i definitely like feel that that's what i how i witnessed that experience that would be a fun edit just throw in like force your way from final yeah. fantasy VIII. <laughs> tashiro is taken aback by the sheer size of the black hole bomb has humanity truly evolved so far as to have built something so massive he marvels finally kazumi says i finally get to see her once aboard the Eltrium, Kazumi is met with rapturous applause. However, she doesn't really care about the pomp and circumstance. She just wants to find Noriko. Yeah, I said it before, I'll say it again. Unlike Kazumi and Ota, which I think the show kind of botches, it truly nails the relationship between her and Noriko. The, the love they have spans planets, galaxies, hell, spans time itself. I know it's a cliche to say, but I think it's worthwhile to say it anyway. This is just following up on the early bit of earlier bit of conversation that we had, but <clears throat> this is this is the bit I was referring to where Kazumi is immediately at ease with Noriko. It is it is just as she it is literally just as she remembers. Whereas you know, I think Noriko needs a uh, a moment to get up to speed. We we relive our memories easily, but we have to always adjust to the future. This happens when I run into a student whose name I can't remember happened at the gym today, and it's always that awkward, like, I'm going through the Rolodex of names and, like, cataloging mem- uh, memories real quickly in my mind, trying to come up with the name. And usually I fail. The other day I did realize that the kids that I start- that I worked with when I started as a preschool teacher are teenagers now. Yeah. We were talking about that last episode, as I mentioned. I used to, to keep track of time and to tell myself I'm not that old. I used to tell myself when I first started teaching, all right, the students who are in my class now, theoret- they not theoretically, they were in public school the same time I was in public school. They were in elementary school and I was in high school. That is no longer the case, and time keeps marching on. The things we tell yep. ourselves to convince ourselves that time isn't passing uh, as quickly. I know. Soon we're all, we'll all be as old as PMC. One day. <laughs> And I thought to myself, you know what? We'll be in the old folks' home at the same time. I'll be in my 90s. They'll be in their late 70s or 80s. And then PMC tells me, you know what? There won't be an old folks' home. It's going to be Mad Max Wasteland. You beat me to it, Steven. That's exactly (laughs) what I was going to (laughs) say. I was was making Amok collapse jokes just earlier today. Could, Could collapse as early as 2025. Anyway. Well, now you're bumping me out. Just watch the day after tomorrow. It's a great film. <laughs> no, you know thank what though? You. Some cold weather, PMC. <laughs> yeah, we'd finally have cold weather again. It's True. been years since it snowed here. Jacket time. The weather has been beautiful here. Yeah, this summer. This, this summer has been great in the Northeast. The past few days have been good, but most of the month was pretty hot. I don't know. Compared to the last few, though, I feel like high eighties. I'll take it. Yeah, high eighties is fine. But look. it was eighty degrees today here. Steven, I biked 100 miles last Saturday, and let me assure you, it was 90 degrees out, and I was not happy about it. (laughs) 
Let me let me assure you. I was running outside with a stroller, pushing it as I was trying to get my 5K in, trying to avoid the sun as best I could. I hear you. So you have you have you have hair PMC. It blocks the sun. I have to I have to watch out. Yes. Melanoma is I mean, constantly I also wear a creeping up when I when I bike long distances. So that helps too. You know who's not wearing a helmet though? Noriko. Upon spotting Noriko in the crowd, Kazumi excitedly runs up to her. I never thought I'd see you again, she exclaims. Later, the two catch up as they look over old photos, one of which was taken at Kazumi and Ota's wedding. I can't believe (laughs) I know. I feel like this is the point where Ota just inserts himself into the podcast like one of the science lessons. I can't (laughs) believe I mean, Buddha, I Buddha coach, but hey, Bradley Gareth, if you want to come on the podcast, you're welcome. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Listen, you're not your character. Yeah, you're not your character. We're, you're welcome here. We're not those weirdos on Twitter who send mean messages to voice actors because they don't like something they did their character, that their character did. <sighs> the weirdos out there. Looking over old photos, Kazumi says, I can't believe that's already been 15 years before realizing her error. Oh, right. It's only been six months for you. So we can confirm now that after episode five, Noriko returned to space while Kazumi stayed on Earth and married Ota. How long were they married? I forgot to crunch the numbers. He died pretty quick soon after the reunion, right? Episode five was like mid-year 2032, right? So they... Yeah, so less than a year or about a year? probably about a year or something. You know, in things like that, I always wonder, would you have gotten married if they weren't going to die and you knew you knew that you would have an out soon? Mm. I had a teacher make us walk, walk to remember, and that was the only thing I could think of at the <laughs> end of that movie. It's like, would you have married her if you didn't know she was dying? Question but is, also, yeah. like, Ota sucks. Oda sucks and he hit her so like fuck that guy I would like honestly expect Oda to have like s- significant financial liabilities and they would somehow pass to Kazumi and be like you son of a bitch <laughs> that's a fun plot twist but I mean outside of you know trash talking Ota which needed to be done of course that's a in, a really interesting conversation for me, someone who has moved pretty far away from where I grew up. Because uh, you guys both live pretty close to your hometown, right? Yeah, I live in my hometown. Yeah, you live Same. in your hometown. So does PMC. Yeah, no, like you and guys. Mine, you know, mine is much smaller than his, <laughs> so I'm definitely the most sinful here. <laughs> three, yeah, three so blocks. the experience of like going back home and seeing your old friends and boy um, at my sister's wedding, this is going to be a heck of an experience. Cause these are people who I haven't seen in years since high school. Um, it does kind of feel that way. Like I can't believe it's already been 15 years. Oh, right. It's only been six months for you. It's not like literally like that, but I'm going to have to sit, and look at a lot of the people who I knew in elementary school and be like, you're a parent now. Like, a lot of the friends that my sister kept in touch with are um, 
normies, so they got married and have had kids. My friends are all gay and poor. Um, so I was the first one from that group to to get married. And none of us have kids. Um, but seeing people you knew at a totally di- like a totally different stage of life or even if you're not going to put things in that terms because you know not not everyone has kids you know it, that doesn't mean your life has progressed less but seeing them go down these like wildly divergent paths from you you know i'm a preschool teacher which is a job that i love but it's not a particularly prestigious career and so Meanwhile, a lot of the people who I went to school with, I went to a a gifted program. A lot of them are more traditionally successful, in addition to a lot of them having kids. So it that scene kind of captured that feeling to me. And there is a melancholy to it. This melancholy is sometimes my default mode when I'm driving through my hometown, which is all the time because I live in my hometown, just like driving through the old stomping grounds. And I wasn't a particularly, I wasn't a social butterfly by any stretch of the imagination, but we talked about this a few episodes ago. There's a house I spent a lot of time at, PMC sometimes, PMC couldn't spend time at the house because he's allergic to cats and they had a lot of cats. Smoked a lot of pot and had a lot of cats. Um, But every time I pass by the house, I'm reminded of like watching my friend play Persona 3 during the heat of the summer and I instantly like put on some P3 music as I'm driving by and I'm just immersed in this bittersweet melancholy but it's also it's kind of pleasing because i'm a i'm just a sappy nostalgic guy by definition yeah you're gonna be that dad who's driving down the street and you're like that used to be a restaurant that used to be a bar that i would go to oh yeah i do that all the time i drive by five guys i'm like that used to be a quiznos let me tell you the about the glories of quiznos it's really terrible is that uh, i you know i was raised by very very older parents and so I also have like I inherited all the thing all the words that they call stuff. So I'm even like worse at that kind of thing of being like of just referring to things that by, would make you, by that names would that make is you so But yeah, it's just like I, I constantly refer to things by names that are not even like slightly useful or descriptive. Like I will point to an intersection and say that is a circle and no like it hasn't been a circle for like 70 years. Like what are you talking about? Shut up. Shut up PMC. Um but yeah, that the experience of like, I guess meeting somebody and you know, they've gone down this path because I think that's you know that is the that's what's confronting Noriko is that Cosme has been a teacher at the school that you went to. What's up with that? That's a thing. <laughs> like that's a whole a whole experience. You got married, and he's dead now. He's been dead for a long time, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and she's just been kind of doing doing your thing and i think like you know you us and ourselves that's kind of how we may but maybe always feel like we're just doing our thing you know we're just doing our thing that's what we're doing and then you see you counties other people who've had these massive changes that's that's when i bring up oh i have a a co-host a mecca podcast i'm a freelance critic i I had pretty influential in certain circles on the internet People yell, yell at me for my Gundam opinions. Thank you very much. Trying to explain to my elderly parents that I, I flew to Minneapolis to play a video <laughs> game on stage. 
and helped raise thousands <laughs> of dollars for charities. It's something I've done multiple times now, and they still don't understand. But, you know, I have fun. I had this dilemma when the, it was during one of the first uh, Twitter exoduses, and I got an invite early on for Blue Sky, and then I was visibly excited, and then my wife's like, what, what are you up to? And I was like, how how am I going to just talk about this? Because she doesn't know what's going up with Mosky and Twitter. I'm like, ah, yeah, you know, new social media platform, very exclusive. <laughs> Speaking of melancholic things, Kazumi has a line here that hit home um, when she acknowledges that I got so I got old, so now I'm melancholy, which I think is very poignant and in simplicity. It reminds me of, speaking of Miyazaki from earlier, it reminds me of a line from Howl's Moving Castle when old Sophie is looking out across the lake out across the lake, and she says, when you're old, all you want to do is stare at the scenery, uh, which is a line I return to often because for me, and I'm not that old, I'm 34 years old, it's very true. All I want to do is walk around my dead mall, my local dead mall, and just look at shit. Amino gives Noriko, or Kazumi, excuse me, Kazumi gives Noriko a letter from Kimiko. It reads, Dear Noriko, how are you? I look back on our time together in high school with great fondness. My daughter Takami was three years old the last time you were here. She's 18 now. I suspect I'm unlikely to see you again in this life, but I hope you'll return in time to see my daughter. Either way, someone's waiting. Please take care of yourself. We're all wishing you the best. With love, Kimiko. Forever your devoted friend. P.S. I've included a picture of Takami. scene makes me feel so sad like everything is lost in waiting uh, noriko is really a mobile here um like forces out of her control um like prevent her from doing anything as your past and present literally disappear uh it's one of the many touching moments in this episode for me yeah this is when the water work started getting to me the first time yeah no same here that that was definitely the first part where i teared up um, especially the first time I watched it, just <laughs> overwhelmed by just and also too the, the melons. Like maybe look this 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 new dub is full of good performances, but holy shit, Lisa Ortiz, like just oh my god, kills she, it. She nails it every time, whether she's a teenager. Or um, you know, a mom in her late twenties, or you know, I guess whatever age this is supposed to be. This is now, you know, you know. I mean, ostensibly should be in her forties, but you know, if you're in your forties in Gunbuster, you're weathered and gnarled. So, but still doing a great job. <laughs> she sounds so old in it. <laughs> she does look old too. She doesn't look. I look as old as Reiko, but she looks again. Shit hit her. Life yeah. hit her. Came at her hard. Yeah. The Tanaka's track also um, makes this scene land um, poignantly on an emotional level, too. His music rules. Just like Planet With. Go watch Planet With. We mentioned Gao Gai Gao earlier. He also did the music for that, and it also has some similar tunes. Yeah, more people need to watch Planet With. I was looking at... I'm thinking about rewatching it just because the Blu-ray has been staring me down on my shelf. I'm like, you know what? This goes down so easy. I think I'm going to rewatch it. 
a, a dub would have been so fun. I know only five people would have listened to it, but a dub would have been real fun for Planet With. I'm glad we got it at all, but still. Thank you, Discotech. Yes. For this great bounty. The, this, this scene has another subtle indication that technology has progressed significantly since they were last there and also has progressed significantly since the first episode because um, Noriko's, if you remember back in episode one, Noriko's message to her dad was just a simple video. Here, Takami is jumping off the screen, implying that, or not, not applying, showing that technology has advanced considerably. Yeah, she now has a Nintendo 3DS. Yeah. That's where their priorities are. Like yeah. Australia is thinking, but let's work on the tech for the video messages. I'm, shall we? I'm still thinking about the joke. I mean, <laughs> this is more important than Australia, Stephen. Shout out to Lau, <laughs> friend of the show. I mean this. This is how that is kind of how technology has progressed. I know Not that wrong. they they nailed that one. Yeah, we're working on getting. You know, new and shiny ways of of sharing pictures, basically, while the uh, big problems go unsolved. I want to I want to reiterate Rex's joke from the first episode of this series of podcasts, where we both suggested that at this point, though, if it were in our timeline, the digital frame would be creating photos of girls who look like Takami but are not actually Takami. <laughs> as part of a slideshow uh but thankfully gunbuster is more optimistic than that (laughs) i like that read that's very fun so right after the scene we get a classic like ano title screen 90 minutes before the commencement of operation carneades like a battleship convoy in world war ii the 36 fleets uh, surround the bomb to ensure its protection you love to see it and they've got some mechs too, some new mechs, namely the Silver Sizzler, a mass production gunbuster model. I, I the, the the montages, these montages always hit home for me. Gynax always nails the nitty gritty, like all the table setting that needs to be done before an operation can commence. There's for me, Old there's just Gynax did. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. I always have to use the past tense when I'm referring to Gynax. Yeah, I mean. Even after a certain point when they were still around, there was an era where they were making shit like he is my master. So Yeah. Two thousand twelve oh, might have been like the demarcation, the cutting off point, maybe even earlier. Oh no, it was well before twenty twelve. See, what year did cause that uh, what year did he admit my master come out? Because I think that was the the big death knell for me. He is my master. You know what he is my master is? I've definitely surfed that Wikipedia page before. The anime came out in 2005. Okay. <sighs> yeah. So. Ganax is not. They had one last gasp as Gurren Lagann, which was very, which was basically them going supernova so that Trigger could be born. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. A lot of this spirit is in Studio Car, too. Like, uh, this sort of stuff permeates the first Gun uh, Ava rebuild. Uh, Shin Godzilla, Shin Ultraman is full of this stuff. Just number crunching and montages of prep work. I love how Gunbuster 
fetishizes numbers and statistics. Uh, it taps into that part of the brain that loves checking things off list. And uh, see I, that I, all I, like all that all that just washes away over me. Like I didn't get any of that. Like I'm just like hmm, yes, and I've completely forgotten all of these numbers and statistics. <laughs> now I hear you. I'm a sicko like that though. Speaking of, like, mecha sicko trivia, we got the Sizzler, not to be confused with the Wawa Sizzly, um, the white mass-produced... Or the multiple colors. Chain. Is that a West Coast thing? Uh, Sizzler's kind of weird. It's West Coast, and I think they have locations in Asia. I'm gonna go down this... I've definitely read this with Peter another... article before. Okay, yeah, so Sizzler went oh, no, bankrupt. No, it's not pizza... Oh no no! I'm getting I'm getting it mixed up with Shakey's. Yeah, Sizzler is like a just Damn. like a steak seafood salad place, but they went bankrupt Sizzler's in 2020. This looks it like was a West Coast right? thing mostly. Current existing Sizzler is only in Australia. It all comes full circle. Wow! Oh. Check it out. <laughs> oh man! All the Sizzler is gone in the Gunbuster timeline. Uh, looks like they've still got some in in Japan and Thailand. Okay. If I, if I get out to Japan another time, I have to check it out. Yeah, it was a cheapo buffet restaurant, you know, golden like kind of like Golden Corral. Anyway. Oh, man, Golden Corral. Oof, I had one bad experience at a Golden Corral. We'll not return. I've never been to Golden Corral. Yeah, I wouldn't go anyway. I think I think Giant I Giant robot. Yeah, that's, that's sweet. We got to go. <laughs> Giant robot. So cool. <laughs> so going back to the sizzler real quick caitlin alluded to this earlier that the discotheque blu-ray the gunbuster release was missing some supplemental content that was on previous releases on a previous on the previous release on the prior dvd there was a sizzler short that showed the construction of this mech um, it's not on the Blu-ray, the most recent Blu-ray. But it is on YouTube if you want to check it out. Theoretically, if it was included on the Blu-ray, it probably would have been dubbed like the other shorts of the other mini films. But if you want some fun images of the Sizzler being constructed, um, check that out. I did some uh, fact-finding. Its head was modeled after, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation here, uh, Giaus, a flying kaiju from the Gamera films, for all my kaiju fans out there, which is cool. Really etymologically. Yeah, I wonder. Similar vibes. So, in a fleet-wide communication, Admiral Tashiro announces this, that the survival of mankind depends on the outcome of this battle. As Idris Elba once memorably said, their goal is to cancel the apocalypse. This is our final stand. Godspeed. That last bit was Tashiro, not Idris Elba from um, uh, podcasting. Go Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. Thank you, PMC. So we talked a bit about this in episode one, the nationalistic imagery and how important it may or may not be to Gunbuster. I, I think it's largely ornamental. Um, I think this scene really illustrates that. Space monsters threaten all of humanity, not just Japan. And as simple a message as this is, Gunbuster does suggest that we all have to band together to secure the future of humanity. And the Cadence dub really stresses this diversity. You hear a bunch of different accents over the comms. Really love the uh, the British commanding officer. Came out of nowhere, but I thought it was cool. 
it's real good. I do really love it. Mm-hmm. Very smart choice. As they leave to disembark, Yoon playfully slaps Kazumi, whom she refers to as Mrs. Ota. You always get what I want, don't you? She rhetorically asks. She then hands off the keys to Gunbuster to Kazumi. It's her way of wishing her luck. I love that the that the Buster Machine 2 key is like a bathroom key at a cafe. It's like, don't lose this, please. It's got like a big <laughs> chain off of it. That's a good detail. <laughs> Very Teachers good. do that shit all the time, too. Yeah. They don't want you to lose something, mm-hmm. so they give you something obnoxious to carry around. Like attaching like a baseball to a bathroom pass or something. Mm-hmm. One I of my high school teachers' do- bathroom pass was a trout. Oh, That's classic high good. school teacher right there. I'll attach a copy of Gunbuster. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lose it. Attach, attach, like attach an entire Gunpla kit to the 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 pass or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Just. Uh, I'm trying to think of what's something super obnoxious and super nerdy. I don't own enough of, like, nerd tchotchke. I'm looking at my room now. A Nendoroid. Yeah, I I had the Nendoroid Link, the Wind Waker Link. No, Nendoroids aren't big enough. They're not obnoxiously huge enough. True. Oh, I know. The uh, Sentai Filmworks release of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I actually just looked at my Criterion Godzilla Blu-ray collection. That was also super obnoxious. The Speed Racer head. The Master Chief Halo 3 Limited Edition. Oh, yeah. There you go. Finally, the space monsters arrive. They are six billion strong and closing in from all directions. Tashiro declares, perhaps more to himself, that they'll show the aliens what mankind can do when backed into a corner. The enemy unexpectedly warps right on top of the human fleet with the intention of ramming the bomb. The fleet attempts to repulse the waves of alien creatures, but are are soon overwhelmed by their superior numbers. I love the extent to which this show is dedicated to the bit of making humanity eat shit every time they think they know what the rules are. It just, hmm. it rules every time, you know, here it's like, oh, well, they can't warp over a short distance. And it's like, it's all, you know, it's the narrator speaking memes, like they can warp over a short distance or, you know, or were <laughs> had a different fleet. And it, this happens earlier too, with the, um, like they can't use radar in, in warp. No, they found you. Good luck. Ron Howard voice. They could. They could. I'm going to go back to the spectacle because it really hits home for me awe-inspiring the earlier reference to god is appropriate for a variety of reasons uh for me though this battle feels biblical in scale it's good the uh, center of the galaxy is now battlefields Ooh, don't get me excited pmc <laughs> don't start quoting master commander it's too early in the morning for that that's a meme i'll have to make caitlin have you seen master and commander as we subject you to all these no. references no we gotta take a i, mean, I haven't gotta take a flight to the west coast that is uh, a movie that I associate primarily with a certain type of guy. <laughs> There's definitely a certain type of guy associated with that film. So I've never really felt the need to watch it. Otakon next year. We're going to make it happen. 
Russell's a big uh, Master and Commander fan. Caitlin, if you go down, I'm going to drag PMC. Oh, I was thinking about trying to go to Otakon next year. It's one of my goals. I don't know. It'll only be ah. it'll be 16 years since the last time I went to Otakon. Nobody comes out to SakuraCon anymore. The pandemic kind of killed that, so mm. I got to start going to the East Coast cons. There's a local Jersey convention, which now takes place very close to my undergraduate college campus that I'm thinking about taking a trip up to. I'm referring to Anime Next here, but it's it's changed locations recently. Oh, yeah. That's the one that's like in two different cities now. The panels happen um, at a location that's pretty convenient to me. Yeah. But everything, the other part is like 20 miles away. Yeah, I know, which is not ideal. <laughs> All right, I probably I can't ask too many questions. We can't get that deep into it. This is too wild to me. I didn't know about this, but please, we don't need to discuss New Jersey problems. Talk about it after. Yeah. So, speaking of Rutgers, New Brunswick, the space monsters ravage the fleets and breach the minefields. The bomb must be protected at all costs. Tashiro shouts. Set to bellicose music, we get a montage of manga-esque stills depicting the vicissitudes of battle. PMC, I know you have a note here. It's the same note my wife had because when we were watching this, she immediately recognized the music as a variation on Handel's Messiah, or maybe just Handel's Messiah. I wasn't sure if it's like a, a re- arrangement. Yeah, I mean, so like Handel's Messiah is like a whole thing. Like that's like a yeah. whole setting. There's a lot that's encompassed by that. The section that is specifically being brought in here is the Hollow Chorus section, which is like pretty commonly used piece of music if you know if you happen to be in a band in a religious or a catholic high school you would have played it um, i played it in the orchestra yeah it com- wasn't a religious high school yep so yeah pretty pretty common piece of music uh you know you'll often hear it too like if you're if you go to like a really big mm-hmm. like christmas celebration, it could even get brought up there you know it's just sort of like one of those like generic big orchestral works um, the other thing I'll say is that beside it being, you know, a famous piece of music, uh, it is, it is in fact, you know, about 
the Messiah, about the Savior. And the one particular lyric that I would bring up is um, when it goes to the melodic line, it's da 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 That melodic line is, you know, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the, the whole point of that, I think they're, you know, they're following up sort of, you know, on some of, I mean, some of what they're doing is just, you know, they're doing the shtick of people talking about existential things at these moments of crisis, but uh, they're also definitely following up on like, to me, the, you know, the, if I were to draw a message, I would say it is the act, the act of every one of the people fighting and dying in this battle is to say that actually, you know, there is a God and here's the miracle it's happening. Well said. <clears throat> we talked about this earlier, but like Ano's sensibilities are on front street in Gunbuster. He's very fond of using classical music in his shows, like memorably in Evangelion and Karikano. He has pieces from Beethoven, Bach, Handel, Pachelbel. Um, really punctuates the drama, elevates the action. Some of my favorite scenes in Ava include Beethoven music. Some of his symphonies. I think the, his ninth symphony, I believe, uh, one of uh, one of the very long shots from later in the show. We get some more Stephen Hero shit here. We get title card itemizing the devastating losses suffered by the fleets. Major damage, 1,700 ships. Minor damage, 4,500 ships. Missing, 22,800 units. So on this note, shout-outs to Petsuchan, Michael Rookard, and Lawrence Eng for this factoid. Um, I didn't know this was a thing until it was pointed out on, to me on Twitter. One of Ano's favorite movies, which he claims to have watched over 100 times, is Kihachi Okamoto's Battle of Okinawa, which came out in 1971. It's a war movie, and it includes a frame with on-screen titles that outline the numerical losses suffered by the Japanese army. And in fact, Ano admired Okamoto so much that he included his photo um, as a stand-in for a fictional character in Shin Godzilla. The more you know. That almost feels like a weird vibe, but I mean, I guess it's Ano. Oh, Ano is just Godzilla. weird vibes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I need to read that manga that his wife drew about Ano's domestic oh domestic life. Yeah, I need to check that out too. I hear good things. Despite these losses, all three Buster machines are intact and operational. An on-screen countdown indicates that there are three minutes until implosion. 2,563 ships remain. The timer goes off, but the implosion doesn't start. Evidently, it needs some extra juice to detonate. Acknowledging this fuck-up, Tashiro begins questioning God. Things look bleak until Noriko video calls in to announce that she'll detonate it herself. Tashiro remonstrates with her, but to no avail. Then Kazumi couples with Noriko's buster machine before announcing that she will join her. I really like the, this is just the one more follow-up to the, the, you know, what I was talking about before with the discussion about God, where, you know, as like the sort of the punctuation mark to what we had just seen with the battle sequence, Noriko and then Kazumi are stepping up to say like, no, we'll, we'll create this. We will, we will make it happen. The complete gunbuster pierces the shell of the buster machine number three and descends into its core. Noriko and Kazumi navigate through a compressed Jupiter. The gaseous layers of its atmosphere are both haunting and mesmerizing. 
Yeah, I'm up entirely too late because I was listening to Steven talk about this part and I'm now thinking of Ocean Gate. So I, I'm really trailing. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> just oh, seeing the billionaires get crumpled in the background yeah. oh my god <laughs> i was this pmc and i are on the same page here i was obsessed with ocean gate like much of the internet was for that week you're just under a lot of pressure my... folks. <sighs> i mean pmc wants to stick it to billionaires and so does pmc for the record but I... there's something just hot the, the, the like, thought experiment of descending in a sub- submers- uh, submersive and just being cut off from the world and just trapped is just uh, sickly tantalizing to me. It's like an Edgar Allan Poe short story. My co-worker's husband wrote advertising copy for Ocean Gate and I wish I could remember The Don Draper of Ocean Gate. Uh, I wish I could remember what it was because it was something incredibly, incredibly ironic. PMC is writing some copy right now in his head. I could, I could look at his face and see it. Now I'm just going to be thinking, trying <laughs> to remember what it is. I, I earlier referenced Otakon 2008, and I have a very vivid memory from Otakon 2008 at an After Dark panel of Caitlin standing up and asking a question to the panelists at the Oticon <laughs> After Dark panel. Caitlin, I don't know if you remember what that question is. I'm not, I think I remember what it is, but I'm not sure. So I'm not going to say it out loud. Um, I'm trying to think. Was it, if it was 2008, was it me talking to Richard Epcar and Ellen Stern saying, hey, do you think all of this is okay to say in front of someone who went to school with your daughter? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was it. I could have sworn there was a bit with I also uh, okay. I also asked um the guy who's uh, like Dean Nicholas. Yeah. Yeah, if um he remembered fucking a Finnish girl named Mira on an airplane. Yes, that <laughs> I was gonna ask, did you ask Senator Nicholas about Mile Hot Club? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. that was right. Okay. Memories. Where going with this OPMC. Memories. Yeah, no. <laughs> they were just like Why why do you know these things? <laughs> <laughs> I I managed to weird out the voice actors at the after after dark panel. It was very good, very effective. Bravo! Yeah, but you know, totally not weird stalkery way because I did genuinely just come across these people in my life. Yeah, so now anyway. I'm just thinking about the submersible inside the black hole bomb ship for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> That's a potential meme we could make. It's, it might be a bit dark for us. I don't know. True. We can we can think about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's on brand though for you, PMC. It will be on brand for me. I can put it on my personal account, Stephen. If you don't feel like throwing. No, it out. no, we're we're okay. in this together. All right, we're like we're in the Buster machine together. Right. We're in the yeah, the two busting machines <laughs> locking together with with giant X's. <laughs> <sighs> they know we like trains yes. or leftists and hate billionaires right no surprise sounds sensible to me we'll put on our masthead if we had one 
Meanwhile, the space monsters are regrouping in preparation for the launch of the next wave, estimated at over 12 billion hostiles. Suddenly, Jung appears and announces that she'll join them, even as the gravitational pressure of the core begins to crush her unit. Noriko and Kazumi remonstrate with her, but are met with Jung's stubborn resolve. Don't misunderstand, Kazumi says. We're not going to our deaths. This isn't suicide. So as the scene progresses, ultimately Noriko and Kazumi dissuade Jung against her course of action, even though it means they'll likely never see each other again. This is another, uh, get, get your tissues out, folks. There's something incredibly heartfelt um, in her decision here, in her actions. Like she'd rather die with her friends than live her life without them. Very touching. It's specifically when she says that she's going to have a welcome back party. And like, mm. I know what's coming. I just, oh no, no, the <laughs> starts coming. Yeah, I mean, that's another, that's another case where like the time dilation, the way that the show handles time dilation specifically is like so heartbreaking because Jung has watched, ha, she has watched a lot of people who she cares about pass her by, I'm sure. You know, Kazumi comes back and she's 15 years older than them six months later. So she knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, So she's going to have a welcome back party is just like such a a denial of the inevitable. It's even sadder when you think about her still throwing the party, but no one ever showing up. And like her not her and her not taking down the decorations, like the dog from Future Drama just waiting for Fry. I feel uh, no, now I feel like we're getting into sad stuck with that. <laughs> I do also think it's really effective exposition here to have Young come in and say what the consequences of this decision are, because like they never give us a technical reason for like why why the gunbuster accelerates to such a high light speed that you know that it just travels back. I guess at light speed, but not warp speed. They never do any techno babble here. That's fine. We've already seen time dilation happen. Just tell us what time dilation is happening and we accept it and it works. Yeah. Yeah. It's the emotions that matter. This is what time travel movies often fuck up as they focus on trying to explain the conceit of time travel rather than focusing on how it resonates emotionally for the characters. Yeah. This is young, very much like old Bruce Willis and Looper. He's like, no, don't worry about it. This is how it's going to work. Okay. I don't, Good. I don't hate Looper, but like Looper gets it wrong. Do you have to do back to the future? It doesn't matter. Focus on the characters. They reach Jupiter's core. It's quiet. Kazumi says, the only living things here are you and me. Noriko apologizes for dragging Kazumi into this. It's all right. She says, as long as I'm with you. Perfect moment, no commentary. Good writing, good acting, great visuals. I did go down a rabbit hole, though. It's like, does Jupiter have a core? And NASA doesn't know. I'm quoting NASA's website here. Quote, it is still unclear if deeper down, Jupiter has a central core of solid material, or if it may be a thick, super hot, and dense soup. It could be up to 90,000 degrees Fahrenheit down there made mostly of iron and silicate minerals, similar to quartz, end quote. PMC, solid core, or just is it gas? It's gas. Gas? Yeah. Caitlin, solid core or gas? You a believer? Is there a core down there? 
I don't know. I'll have to ask my brother who works at NASA. Oh, we're getting all the deep lore here today. Yeah, see if he, she knows something that we don't. <laughs> yeah, speaking of all the alien discourse. PMC, since you're the skeptic, I, I that would make me Mulder and you Scully, right? I don't watch yes, a lot of that's correct. Okay. I'm glad I got that reference I would, right. I would show up at the crime scene with a bucket of chicken. That is correct. I don't want to be David Duchovny. <sighs> Too bad. Eh, them's the breaks. Ready to finish this once and for all, she rips off her shirt, exposing her bare breast as she rips into the innards of her gunbuster. Let's go! Either we pull this off now, or we die trying! Forgive me, Gunbuster. That's fucking such a visceral scene. Noriko channels all her anger, her father's death, the loss of Torin, the eradication of her past and present, and funnels it into one defiant act. You'd love to see it. Take a moment to talk for just, yeah, just a minute about kind of the conversation around fan service in Gunbuster, mm. which I think has tended to be kind of overstated because people will mention moments like this when the nudity is like very um, thematic and purposeful. But I just, I feel like people have tended to talk up Gunbuster as this like, you know, very fan service series. And I think that's really doing it a disservice because did Noriko need to rip open her shirt? Probably not, but it was symbolic. It said something about what was happening in that moment. You know, it made, it made me think of like the Amazon warriors mm. um, of ancient Greece. And, and, you know, the moments, the other moments, like, you know, who hasn't been lounging around their bed in in, in ill-fitting top and just kind of they roll over and things just kind of flop out? You know that that just happens sometimes. Um, so I think that talking about this scene as fan service is reductive. I am um, I agree that it's a really powerful scene. And I realized that now I'm talking about it as something that talks about at, that people talk about as fan service. So maybe that's like a little ironic. I don't know. Um, but it's a good scene. It's a good moment. Sometimes, sometimes a boob's just a boob, and sometimes a boob symbolizes something else. Yeah, I think the you know the the mimicking of the the robot and the way it controls you know that really it it hooks together and like. I don't know, dog, what do you want? Do you, do you need her to, like, injure herself in doing this? Like, to mimic what the gunbuster is doing by, you know, taking off the the chest plate? Like, no, Instead you don't. Instead of ripping off her shirt, she actually rips open her ribs. Yeah, like, is that what you need to, you know, like, look, it's, 
it's fine. This works. It's very, it's effective. It, you know, it shows what's happening. She does not actually need to rip out her own heart. It's we're good. Yeah. Agreed on both points. Speaking about the fan service or lack of fan service in Gunbuster, I'm pretty, whatever fan service they may or may not be in the show, I'm pretty desensitized to it. I'm reading the novelization of Gunbuster. It is really the she breasted boobily meme. The, some of the descriptions just jump out of the page. PMC, have you started reading yet? Not yet. I was, I was planning on hopping on it once I, uh, once I wrapped up this watch. It stays pretty, I've only read the, the first, so it's, it's split into a, I cannot remember his name. Um, we're going to have the translator on the episode, um, a fan who translated it, and they have more background information, but apparently he wrote, there's something about him and pornos. I saw him tweet it out. I don't know what exactly it is. He wrote a lot of pornos or he watched a lot, um, but it comes out in his writing because it sticks pretty close to the script of Gunbuster, at least the first volume, which covers the first four episodes of the OVA. But some of the descriptions are wild, very horny. Great. Love it. Speaking of something that's not horny, Tashiro, distraught, orders the fleet to move out of the blast radius. You don't know anything about Tashiro, Stephen, please. <laughs> He gets horny for sushi. You don't know his life. Yeah. You see the way he eats sushi, the way he eats watermelon? Mm, I don't know, buddy. He's upset. <laughs> they were going to their death. Well, you know what? They're not going to their death, but they are, metaphorically. As the degeneracy implosion begins, great name, by the way, Noriko apologizes to Kimiko. I'll never see you again, she declares. Meanwhile, Kimiko says a prayer for Noriko. Once the proverbial dust has settled after the catastrophic implosion, Noriko and Kazumi languidly float through space in the derelict gunbuster. That is specifically a Tanabata tree, I believe. Mm. Um, Tanabata is a holiday in Japan. Uh, also known as the Star Festival, where basically the two uh, two legendary figures, Orihime and Higoboshi, were lovers who were separated. And so they are separated by the Milky Way, but on Tanabata, which is the seventh day of the seventh lunar month, of they are able to meet. Um, and so on Tanabata, you write down your wish and hang it on it on this, you know, those little slips of paper and you hang it on a tree. And so that is what Kimiko is doing for Noriko in that scene. She is hanging her wish on her Tanabata tree. Looking up Tanabata now, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you brought this up, Caitlin, because I was in Japan in July, and this hap- this most recently happened on Friday, July 7th, 2023. And it makes sense because in my hotel in Akihabara, there was an, a tree with um, these slips of paper hanging from the leaves. Yeah, the branches. there you go. Now I want some ramen. Cloud ramen would be so good. No bean paste, though. I had to mention it. Are we going to bring that up again? That's uh, we got these these white people dessert enjoyers on this podcast shaking my I'm head. I'm sorry. Ugh. Guilty. I have boring taste. I got made fun of this for this in high school too. You know. 
We don't have my, as sophisticated a palate as PMC does. Well, I just have listen. I've got a, I've got white taste, white taste <laughs> in desserts, and I'm not afraid to say it. I like chocolate and caramel. I'll have one chocolate milk, thank you very much. I'm an adult. I'm the same way, Caitlin. Milk chocolate or bust for me. Back on Earth, twelve thousand years have passed. Jump to July sixth, fourteen. 292, Noriko and Kazumi have finally arrived on Earth. They wonder if humanity has perished. Their doubts are proven incorrect when the entire planet lights up with the message, Welcome back. I'm not crying, you're crying. Obligatory statement here. Very affecting ending. Equal parts joyous and bittersweet. Absolutely nails the landing. Honestly, like, one of the most powerful moments in all of anime history. Um, I cry every single time. Um, I'll sit down to watch it and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to cry. It's going to happen. And lo and behold, every single time I do. First time I watched this was with my wife and she didn't get the time dilation thing at all. And so I'm like crying watching this the first time. And she's like, what's going on? What's, what's the big, like, why didn't they just do things differently? And I'm like, God damn it. We're still together. Don't worry. <laughs> did she watch it again? No, but she did say, okay. So she overheard at some points while I was watching the new, with, with the English dub and she did like what she heard of the dub. So she is open to watching it again. Okay. So who knows? We'll see. You got the G-Witch connection. I know she's watching. It's true. I did tell her about the G-Witch connection. That coach is uh, the the ghoul jetter voice. How is the G-Witch dub? Uh, I've only watched up through like 18 or 19 at this point. So we haven't... uh, Circumstances have arranged themselves that we have not returned to it yet. I do believe the English dub is now finished. Uh, The answer is uh, I like it. I think it's pretty good. I think the characters are all pretty effective so i'm pretty happy with it it's on my things to watch list because we'll be podcasting about it eventually so i like two months to watch the dub i watched the prologue i liked what i heard one quick note but, um yeah anyway like everything about that moment just comes together so powerfully to make it absolutely heart-rending like the way that like that moment of doubt, um, you know, the, the way that like everyone on earth must've been planning this, um, and come together, which speaks not just for like how they're being welcomed back, but how humanity has, has united in this way. Um, you know, that burst of color in the lights, Mm. um, the, the E, in Okairi Nasai being backwards, which Discotech did uh did romanize with the K being backwards in their subtitle, which delighted me. Um indicates that like some things are gonna be different, you know? Like the way that they write a letter has changed, so that kind of forebodes that like 
some unexpected things will have changed. It's just, just truly, truly an unbelievably brilliant moment outside of just the sheer like heartrendingness of it. Yeah, like, and they, or like, it might be the case that they don't even speak the language anymore, and the 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 letter is written backwards because they just got it wrong when trying to do it. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a fun read too, right? Because like, what if what if like people came from space that speak Latin? You know, like, all right, well, just spin up the Latin machine. How does that go again? Ah, <laughs> uh, finally, the classicists can use yeah, their degrees. Finally, the classicists rise up classical memes for hellenistic teens mm-hmm. good twitter so, very, very except, exceptional twitter account you know all the the people who are just the experts in the dead lat dead language of japanese are just like yes i know how this is written and they just get like random little details wrong but also like another cultural note um is that like we don't, you know, we don't really have this the same way in English where in Japan, like, whenever you leave, um, whenever you leave the house, you say, um, itekimasu, which means I'm going and coming back. Um, and then, like, when you come home, you say tadaima, and whoever's home with you says, okaeri nasai. So it's, so, whereas I think for, for at least in the U.S., hearing welcome back, welcome home is nice, but it's not, like, expected the same way. So, it really creates, for, I think, the original audience and, you know, for these two main characters, like, this incredibly powerful sense of being, of coming home and being welcomed home. It's a good note. Good context. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Well, well done, friends. Yeah, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. We always have the best vibes once the three of us. We're always very punchy. Yeah, I'm sorry oh. for. I hope I didn't spoil Gunbuster forever with Ocean Gate being inside Buster Machine Three, but we'll see. I'm coming. I'm coming around at that. It's very funny in my mind. <laughs> the meme i got a meme a little pitch of me in my head mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it works if you, it's got all right the oh, gunbuster is descending and like in a small speck in yeah. the corner it's the sub okay all right oh god <laughs> dark yep it is pretty dark down there <laughs> <laughs> all right caitlin any final thoughts on gunbuster did you guys get to talk about the aim for the ace connection? Your talked a bit. First Dawn talked episodes. a lot about it in the first oh, episodes. Good. I think yeah. Ethan probably did too, even though it wasn't on that episode. Yeah, Ethan right, definitely good. got to it as well. Yeah, yeah. Especially it was it's really the first episode, and I feel like the third episode are really important for the the aim for the ace connection, as I understand it. Yeah, well, because that wasn't something that was talked about for a long time, because aim for the ace was not easily available in English. So I think it's, I mean, I'm just like excited that that's part of the converse, conversation now, um, that the shoujo element is being so well-recognized. Because like, watching Gunbuster, with, 
having seen Aim for the Ace and then watching it without, like, here. Okay. Watching Gunbuster without seeing Aim for the Ace and watching Gunbuster having seen Aim for the Ace is like watching two different shows. Um, but that's not really germane to the final episode. I just like talking about that. Um, but yeah, no, Gunbuster is an amazing, amazing show that I'm so happy that it's like finally easily available in English. Um, and that it can be part of this conversation. Um, that people can get to easily and that it did really well it sold really well um yeah i don't know how coherent that was um because i've been getting up at 5 30 because my schedule changed so i'm I'm running low on gas here no i hear that but no i definitely yeah underscore Um, that coop coop said much the same thing when it came to aim for the ace and gunbuster uh, that he, he he almost says like watch Gunbuster, watch Aim for the Ace, watch Gunbuster again was with the way yeah, he put no, it. Yeah, so. that's my recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. I have it queued um, up and ready to go. I'm excited to finally jump into Aim for the Ace, and it's it's digestible. It's not like I'm jumping into a hundred plus. Episodes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's it's very digestible. Those episodes <laughs> fly by. I don't want to go down and, and aim for the Ace tangent, but mm-hmm. it's it's very watchable. It's a lot of fun. We fun to. I would love. Gunbuster actually recently got a theatrical re-release in Japan. It's been released several times in theaters in Japan over the last was it forty years? I'm hoping or thirty five years. I'm hoping for, even that's not going to happen. A similar release in the states, but maybe I'll just have to live with the Gurren Lagann compilation films coming out in the U.S. You know, I would not put like a convention screening outside of the realm of possibility. Uh, go to cons if you can, which I know is not easy when you with a child. But I'm hoping Otakon 2024, baby. All right. PMC will be there. We'll teleport Caitlin in. It'll be great. Can ride the orbital railway over. That's true. Who knows how far technology will progress by then? Yeah, maybe we'll have a uh. Fast rail in the United States. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm such a joker. That dope ass train from episode five. Oh, I, yeah. I do believe there was like a booth at Oticon this year for the Northeast Maglev initiative of some group of people that think they're going to bring, you know, the Maglev trail like they have in Japan to the US, which, like, God help <laughs> them if they can, but. You know, still kind of funny God that they came to Oticon. That's the place to go. Yeah, with yeah. with uh, if they're looking for train enthusiasts. I mean, go to DC. That's where that's where all the other policy people are going. It makes sense. PMC, what about you? Hit me with some final culminating Gunbuster thoughts. Even though we're not done our Gunbuster journey quite yet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just an impactful work. It, it you know it pulls on the emotional heartstrings every time. Watch it. Watch it in the way that you like. Uh, you know, and, and then appreciate its relationship. Both you, we just talked about aim for the ace as sort of looking backwards, but also we in this conversation we alluded to the relationship it has to things going forwards. You know, all the things that are part of Ano's directorial style and other elements. Um, it's mm-hmm. just like 
it's it is itself good it is also very relevant historically yeah i mean as i as i said in my ann review like there's always this temptation to talk about a series like gunbuster in the primarily in its historical context um because it's so historically important you know it draws influence from so many things because Gainax, I think, was, like, the first studio that was, like, made by otaku. Um, these were people who, like, grew up with anime and, like, wanted to make anime because they loved anime. So Gainax was, like, so it is a series that, like, is does draw a lot from other sources. Aim for the Ace is the big one. I hear that Top Gun is. I have, haven't actually seen Top Gun. But... And then it went on to influence so much after it, you know, the Gainax pose, like who doesn't like hoot and holler when Noriko does that. <laughs> um, and then Hamina does it. And like so many characters have done that over the years. Right. Um, it really is like a must see for anyone who wants to be like well-versed in anime influences like you know and i would say uh if you're going to choose like one super influential anime to watch you should choose this one over dragon ball z because dragon ball z is long and boring and this one is short and good um starting fights yep no that's what it's all about that's what that's a good podcasting oh. <laughs> yeah if you didn't start if- any if someone isn't yelling in frustration at my opinions at least once per podcast episode i'm on i haven't been doing my job right (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was gonna say i haven't said anything bad about code gs i'm not sure if i'm gonna get any drive-bys all right look what i just incurred upon myself all right at the end of all things the three of us we're in the uh we're descending into jupiter it's quiet caitlin hit us with some plugs promote yourself and the wonderful work you do well as i mentioned uh at the top of the episode i help run animefeminist.com uh i know the name is some people think the name is a little cheesy some people are like i love it it just says what it is no bullshit um <laughs> You know, uh, we are a small website with a run by a diverse team. Um, we do reviews of seasonal anime, but um, I think the real meat of the website is in our um, uh, critical writing, um, our essays. Uh, we publish articles. We about stuff we that's like it's not seo driven like if we think a pitch is interesting we don't care if no one is talking about the series in fact we love it if no one is talking about the series because now this is something a way for people to talk about the series um so come check us out come pitch about gunbuster to us uh pitch about mecha anime to us i would love to see it um I am also a reviewer at Anime News Network, uh, including, you know, you can check out my Gunbuster review. And uh, I, what, what review did I just have go up? The summer Hikaru died. 
which is a cool manga. I've got reviews for all sorts of fun sci-fi anime like Stelvia um, and Nekopara. Just kidding. I did review Nekopara. That show is bad, though. <laughs> Don't watch it. So those are kind of the two main drags. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, all soon underscore no dare. Who knows how much longer I'm going to be there. Um, I'm on Blue Sky, uh, Altsun Nodere, without the underscore. I'm on Tumblr, but I barely use it. It's just a bajillion reblogs. Um, yeah, that about covers it. Awesome. PMC? Cool. Well, if you like what we're up to here at Giant Robot FM, uh, there's a few ways you could help us out. You could... Rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash giantrobotfm, where we have Patreon-exclusive Discord. We have a bonus podcast series. So we just wrapped up doing Witch Mercury week to week. We are going to be moving on this month to doing uh, Turn A Gundam bi-monthly. It's a series we call Moonrace Wireless. The first four of those episodes are out in the main feed. So if you want to check those out, consider joining us at the Patreon. Uh, we'd be greatly appreciative. We also do have a, <laughs> oh man, I fucking hate SMT. God damn. I'm sorry. I got really distracted. Um, <laughs> you can edit that on the podcast. That's heresy. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, if you like mecha video games, <laughs> which are much better than SMT, uh, we have a podcast series called Simulator where we talk about mecha video games in the same way we talk about mecha anime. Uh, we just released an episode on Assault Suits Falcon, and we're going to be working on a Gunbuster Simulator episode next. Uh, you can check that also on the Patreon. If you want to see what those episodes are like, we have Armored Core and Front Mission episodes on the main feed for free, so please go check that out. I want to give credit to uh, Dwarf S for our graphic design, credit to Skin for our art, and credit to Fretzel, hashtag ban Fretzel, for the music that we use. Before I throw it to PMC for a clever stinger, I will say, if you want more Gunbuster coverage, we will be covering the, the translated novels, we'll be covering the short stories, which hopefully have some like juicy, interesting prequel content, and we will be talking about the video games, the porn trivia game, we'll be talking about the PC Engine... Wait, the porn trivia game? There is a porn trivia game. If you ever want... <laughs> If you want to play a 1989 dank-ass, PC, horny porn game with Soviet Union trivia, well, this game is your your go-to. I can't remember the title. It's the third game in the series. Paid the bills. I can't say that's something I've ever wanted. It's not translated in English. Or also try to get it rested on Twitch and uh, stream it. But there are two PC Engine games, and there's also a really interesting PS2 game, which we'll be covering by the end of the month or early September. So look forward to that, Gunbuster fans. PMC, the Jupiter-sized ball, one thirty-thousandth compressed, is in your hands. Did you know that Buster Machine 3 also uses a Logitech controller? <laughs> I knew it was going to be ocean game related. <laughs>